you know, one of the fun things um, of getting to do what I do is, is I come and we set up and we get all the sound stuff and the worship team comes and they kind of run through and practice. And selfishly, I always love it because I get to have uh, two worship times. <laughs> Once is I'm just back there just dialing in the sound and the tech and stuff like that. And I get to, uh, this morning, I literally, uh, during, during that song, I just, I just bawled um, back there. And, and then what's really cool is that when we all get together, then I'm still worshiping, but I'm also praying for you guys, because I know <clears throat> that sometimes we worship, we need to just express our hearts to God, right? And sometimes, hallelujah, that just literally means praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And that's what heaven's going to be like, right? We're going to be circling around the throne of God in, in heaven. God's throne is at the center. Everything revolves around that, and we get to worship him and say, praise you, God, uh, for all eternity. And, um, and, but then sometimes we also need to, to receive in worship, right? And it's about God, but yet he sometimes wants to sing over us, and, and it's so awesome. I don't pick the songs. In fact, I don't even really tell, I mean, like, the, our musicians, our team has access to where we're going with the series, but a lot of times it'll be like, Allie, did you look at what we were doing? And she goes, well, no, not really. Was I supposed to? <laughs> I was like, no, because it fits perfect. And this morning I'm like, Rich, did you pick these songs? And he goes, yeah. And I said, we needed these this morning because where we're going, we're going to be talking about something that's not always fun. It's one of the most least appreciated, most avoided, undervalued aspects of our journey of faith. And to have these, these truths just sung over us, God, you're enough for me. God, I worship you like well, I'm not alone. You're with me every step of the way. That is what gives us the freedom to boldly dive into what we're going to be diving into this morning. So we're in the journey of faith. If uh, those online, we have, actually have a lot of people uh, online listening today. And so, and, and so if you haven't listened to it yet, we just started a new series a couple weeks ago called The Journey, looking at six stages that are common in our journey of faith. Um, and and I, I just try to be vulnerable too. Like my story, a lot of you know it, is, is stage one. I was in high school and I had an awareness of God. And it was through, we always talk about how we have an awareness to God either through a sense of awe or a sense of need. I wish I was so holy that I came with like, God, you are so amazing. No, for me, it was a sense of need. It's kind of like, I need you. Without you, I'm dead. And so for me, it was sort of like, I knew I really needed God. The second stage is a stage of discipleship, right? Of like pouring in, receiving, being filled. And so I, I was mentored by some incredible people over the course of several years. I went to a, to a private Christian school and I got a Bible degree, a ministry degree. I mean, I was just like a sponge soaking up from a fire hose, right? Like it was, it was incredible. And it was just so much fun being poured into and being discipled and mentored. And then stage three, right? Like I got the degree. Let's go do something, God. Like, let's go change the world. And so I was, I did what every good little Christian boy in the mid nineties did that wanted to get serious about God. I became a youth pastor, right? Like I, I love you, God. So I'm going to be serious. I'm going to become a youth pastor. And, and so I went to Nicole and I, we moved to this uh, small town in Oklahoma and, and it was incredible. Love this little town, Fairview, Oklahoma. It, it, like, it, like I'm a Nebraska guy. I hated Oklahoma. I literally hated Oklahoma because I'm from Nebraska, 
right? And know your history there, right? But I moved and I lived on Sooner Drive. Like God has a wicked sense of humor, right? And, and I loved, like, I love Oklahoma. Some of the most amazing people on the face of the earth. And this great little town, great little school. We had this great church. I mean, I've never, like, we were loved on so much. It was ridiculous. And I was kind of like, this is it, babe. I'm going to be the Gandalf of youth ministry. I'm going to be like 78, like chasing after kids and dodgeball with my walker and, and like, ah, you know, whatever. And it was incredible. Like we had such a good setup there, right? But then, but then we kind of, God started stirring in our lives and he started kind of messing some stuff. And it's so like, but no, God, this is where I want to retire. I just want to raise my family. This is where I want to live and retire. And, and it was all planned out and God started messing with our plan. And so I had the opportunity, one of my mentors, actually Ali's dad, who is like one of my heroes turned mentors, became best friends, you know, and, and they were coming out to this weird exotic land of Utah. And we were coming to this church and it was this big church, a growing church, aggressive church. It was like amazing. And, and, and it was all about the productivity, right? Like now I was, I was like, God, you're there. You're amazing. I'm discipled. Now I want to go. I want to put it into practice. I want to produce for you, God. And like, I was amazing in this little town, but man, in Utah, look at this, what we could do here. And, and this church was all about productivity. It was all grow, 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 grow. I mean, it was nuts. I was like, dude, this is the, 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 the pinnacle of, of what life is all about, right? And so I got the job. We uproot. We come here. And, and it's all about production, 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 growth, growth, growth. Well, you've ever been hiking and you're following this well-marked trail and you're just deep into the mountains and all of a sudden, boom, the trail disappears and there's a cliff. You're kind of like, well, crap, where do I go now? Where do we go now? Um, a couple of years ago, my buddy next door neighbor, Tom and I, we decided we were going to go snowshoe temp. And uh, it had snowed a couple of times. It was like early December. We're like, hey, let's go snowshoe, right? And we're, we, we start way at the bottom because the road was roped, uh, the road was uh, gated. And so we go all the way up there. It's kind of like temp is already like a 16 mile round trip hike. And we had to tack on another mile and a half or two miles just, just because of we couldn't get to the trailhead. So we're like, okay, we got to get our snowshoes. We're going, we're going, going. And it's awesome. We're having a beautiful day. It's like snow everywhere. I've never been up there like that before. And it's just beautiful beautiful. And we're getting up, you actually come up the east side and one of the most breathtaking, anybody ever hiked him before? So, you know, when you come up over the saddle and you look, you look over the valley, it's kind of like, oh, and then you look up the side and you go up to the peak. Well, we were, we were literally probably a hundred yards from getting to the saddle and we hit a wall. We get to these cliffs that are covered with snow. And, and I didn't realize, like, usually it's pretty sketch, you know, even without snow. And you're kind of like, okay, all right. I'm kind of like cliff, trail, cliff, right? And you're kind of going along there. Well, when it's covered with snow and you have these big old, it's kind of like, do we put on our snowshoes? Because I'm clopping all over the place. I'm going to trip. But without snowshoes, you were just sliding, we didn't bring the right gear. And so like after, after probably about a half hour of trying to like delicately go along the wall, we just started like, we got to quit. It's not worth it. I don't want to die. This is going to cost us too much. We're both looking at each other. So we're like, we're dads. What are we thinking? You know, like, like we have to turn around and go home. We hit a wall. Well, a lot of us have probably been there spiritually. 
right? Like, God, you're amazing. I want to learn more about you. I want to know you. I'm, I'm going to like work my butt off for you. Life is good. And then bam, we run smack into a wall. Life hits us in the face. This morning, we're actually going to look about how the wall is actually the next stage of our spiritual journey. In fact, the wall is where our will meets God's will face-to-face. The wall is some sort of moment, experience, or event that's usually some kind of crisis, failure, longing, boredom, distraction. It's where we've been going and going and going, and all of a sudden it's kind of like, God, where are you? It can look like sickness, injury, financial crisis, job loss, death, divorce, moral failure, and on and on and on, right? It's some kind of tragedy that fills us with a sense of grief. Now, here's what the wall does. It unmasks us. It reveals what's really going on on the inside. You see, we're really good at putting on these facades, these masks, and we're kind of like, oh yeah, I'm a happy, good person, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, boom, something happens. And we're, we're, we're like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not who I really think I am or what others, what I've been trying to get others to think about me, right? It reveals what we really believe. We talk about wanting to move from unbelief to belief in area of every area of our life. That's what discipleship is, right? And the wall actually is a huge part of revealing our actual beliefs. Because I can say, I think I've said this before, I can, I can believe that I can fly off the top of temp, right? But would I get up to the top and actually jump? Hopefully not because I don't really believe that I can fly, right? I can say I believe it, but until I'm ready to do it, it's really not belief. When we hit the wall, our deepest secrets, our fears, wounds, regrets, insecurities come spilling out, right? Like we're a pinata. We hit that wall and all of a sudden, bleh, all this grossness comes spilling out. Fun, so much fun, right? The wall puts our faith to the test. What do we really put our trust in? Is Jesus really the Lord, the boss of our life? It reveals and confronts barriers between us and God. It shows things that maybe have control over us that we deny. No, 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 I'm fine. I can quit any time. No, I can do this. I can't do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It it really reveals the things that control us. The wall is essential for finding true freedom. The wall is kind of like this fork in the road, right? Like where we decide, are we going to surrender to the sovereignty of God, the creator of all things, or are we going to try to hold on to our own sovereignty? The wall forces the question if we are going to let God be God. I remember seeing that quote this week is we're like, the wall is when we decide to let God be God. It was like, but he's God. But how often do we really live as if he is God? That's that sovereignty of God versus sovereignty of self question there. Now the wall can be scary because we're facing the unknown. We don't know what's going to be on the other side. We we've been so carefully manicuring and controlling our lives. And when we come through that wall and all that stripped away, Who am I going to be on the other side? What am I going to have? Is it going to be okay? It can be an incredibly scary experience. 
because all the things we've held on to are taken away. Like I said before, the wall is one of the least recognized, most avoided and underestimated dynamics of the spiritual walk, not only in Christians, but in churches. Most churches, a lot of Christianity wants to say, oh, give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. You're going to, you're, you're, it's going to be like a, what do they say? The country song in reverse. Your dog's going to come home. Your truck is going to start. Your, your girlfriend's going to come back. Everything like that, right? Like if I go to Jesus, I can pull the cosmic slot machine and then life is going to be amazing, right? Like it's easier to preach that than to say, yeah, sometimes we got to go through the furnace. Sometimes we have to be melted to be purified. It's one of the most critical stages in growing a deeper and more intimate faith in relationship with our creator. So here's six common responses to the wall, right? Life happens. It smacks us up the face. It's upside the face, right? And so here's six common ways that we handle that. Number one are the egos, right? Like it's easy to deal with the hardships of life the same way that we've gotten through life to this point. It's my strength, my skill, my grit, my determination, my effort, my goodness, right? Like there's a wall. Okay, I'm going to build a bigger wall and I'm going to step over that wall. That's the egos. We believe that if we work hard enough and if we're good enough, we can overcome it. What does that reveal? Sufficiency and sovereignty of self. Number two are the Eeyores, right? You know, Eeyore from, from Winnie the Pooh. Like, well, I guess this bad stuff happened because I'm a bad person and God doesn't love me, right? Like bad stuff happens just because I'm not good enough and God probably doesn't love me, right? Number three and are, the, are the Einsteins. Now it's funny, uh, Mr. Sound Justin back there is looking at my notes and he goes, the Epsteins? I was like, hey, 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 come on, <laughs> come on. These are the Einsteins, right? So I should have worked that one in there. I don't know. Um, but the Einsteins, right? I have a theory on everything. I have this totally figured out. I can tell you exactly why this is happening because of this and this and this and this. And if you reverse that, then you can, you know, it kind of goes back to the egos, right? But I have a theory about everything, but guess what? They're just intellectual theories. I mean, think about the book of Job. Job is a mind twister. Because Job has these friends that come in and say, well, Job, this is why this is happening. This is why you need to do this and you're not doing that. And you have to do that. They have all these incredible theories. And you know what's crazy is I'm reading through Job. I'm an underliner. I'm a note taker in my Bible. Like you look through there and like, I'm like underlining stuff that really resonates with me. I'm sitting there like reading this stuff of Job's friends. And I was like, "Uh, do I underline this? (laughs) Because I know they're not the good guys. The most dangerous lie is the one that's the most close to the, that's the closest to the truth. And that's where the Einsteins come in. It's sort of like, oh, I have it all figured out for you, right? I can tell you exactly why these bad things happened. This is the reason why you're in the situation that you're in. They twist the truth. Number four are the experts, right? These are like the Pharisees who, who somebody is, is, uh, paralyzed or has leprosy or they're sick or whatever. It's sort of like, oh, I will tell you exactly why that happened. It's, it's kind of like the Einsteins, but they take it even further because they over-spiritualize everything. And they say that they have authority over everything. You probably know the situations like that, right? It's, it's sort of like they just over-spiritualize and, and feel like they have authority and control over everything. Um, 
And, and it's sort of like, dude, you're just really not helping right now. It's like when my sister passed away, she was 16, I was eight years old, and I had so many people come and say, well, it's okay, Jason. God needed Cheryl more than we did. It's okay, Jason, because two of her classmates gave their lives to Jesus. And that's why this happened. And I remember as a little kid, I was eight years old, and I was kind of like, well, okay, if they say God said it needed to happen, then it needed to happen. The older I get, I don't think God have, I don't think God caused it. I think God used it. I don't think he caused it. And I think sometimes we have to be careful of the experts that have a reason for everything. Sometimes life happens. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. I see that happen all the time. You know, and especially like in our culture here, there's this line of, well, I chose it before we came. And so that's why it happened. I chose this. I just got to bear this. What? Why would we choose these things, right? No, it just happens. But it's not outside of God's control. He can still use it, right? We have to be so careful with this kind of stuff. The fifth are the entitleds, right? When life happens, it's kind of like, why me? Can somebody please move the wall for me? Or maybe go through the wall for me? Right? Like, like it's easy to have this entitled, so like this whiner, like, oh, life is so hard. I'm just going to kind of go back to being an Eeyore, right? And, and, this, and the last one are the ejectors, right? Something happens, I'm out. First sign of hardship, I'm out. The wall is going to cost me too much. God's probably not, God's not that good. And you know what? He's probably not even real. Now that I see this stuff happening, I give up, I'm out, Right? A lot of people never get through the wall because either we stay, we hit the wall and then we go back to stage through stage two or stage three of saying, well, life is happening. Maybe I just need to read more. Maybe I need to study more. Maybe I need to, you know, I need to, I need to know more. Right. Or we go back to stage three and say, maybe if I just work harder and a more productive, then God will maybe remove this from me. And that's what we tell ourselves. And we're, just, we're bouncing around stages two and three, two and three, two and three, because we are so afraid to go through the hard work of getting through the wall. Example of this, when we were in, in, in Oklahoma, there was a, a, a leader in the church that found out that he was having an affair for years with his secretary at work. And he was a leader in our church. And, um, and when it all hit the fan, uh, he justified it in saying, well, I never really loved my wife anyhow. This is the woman that I really love. I'm going to divorce my wife and marry the one that God wanted me to be with in the beginning. And that's what it means to be faithful is to divorce my wife and go with the woman that I'm having an affair with. And then he moved to Oklahoma City and became a leader at the next church. And it was kind of like he wouldn't, and, and he was all about leadership. I'm a leader, I'm a leader, I'm a leader, right? Dude, <laughs> You're shacking up with some others, somebody else's wife. You're abandoning your own wife. I don't think you need to be leading in a church right now. Right? Like there's some stuff going on deep inside of you that you need to deal with. But instead, we just, no, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning and I'm, I'm producing. I'm learning and I'm producing. Or we don't get through the wall because it's too hard and we leave. Right? Another way of looking at the wall is calling it the desert or the wilderness. If we look through the entire Bible, 
The desert and wilderness is this scary, hard, horrible, beautiful, productive place. Look at where God calls Abraham, the desert. Where does God call Moses, the desert? Where does God call himself, Jesus, before he goes into his public ministry, the desert? Where does God wrestle with Jacob before he renames him Israel, right? The desert. The desert, the wilderness, the wall is a time of stripping away all the distractions and all the crutches and all the scaffoldings that we've created around God and our relationship with God. And they're stripped away, they're torn down, and it leads us into a deeper and newer level of intimacy with God and also an awareness with ourselves. The wall is a time where we, you ever heard of the die to self, right? Like I just did a Google die to self verses, right? And here's what it came up. John 3.30, John the Baptist says, Jesus must became, become greater and greater. I must become less and less. In other words, he's saying, I want to fade out. I want God to be at the center. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 5, 24, 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, throw off your sinful nature. This language literally means like throw it off, right? Like, like shed off our dirty, old, disgusting clothes, our old rags, right? Throw off our old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on, it's the reverse, right? Get rid of that stuff and put on your new nature created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. And last one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. See, that's what faith is. That's what surrendering to Christ is. The old self is dead and gone. I am a new person. Now I get it. I will be the first to say, I struggle with this because old Patterns, old temptations, old habits, old things linger, right? It, they're hard to totally get out from underneath. We're human. But the whole idea of surrendering to Christ is that those things that have, have corrupted and, and controlled and, and drug us down are gone. And every day we need to surrender to the sovereignty of Christ and him in, in him leading us towards freedom. It was interesting because part of our journey was, and I think I shared this the other, I think I shared this at, at a connect group. Um, but the first couple of years in ministry for me, uh, Nicole and I kind of looked at each other and said, babe, I kind of feel like I'm spending so much time with sin management and behavior modification. It's all surface level stuff. Right? It's do this, don't do that. Be a good boy, be a good girl. You know, and I was very focused at morality. And as long as kids looked good, they must be good. 
But then I realized that within myself that I can try to be the good boy, but that doesn't necessarily change what's on the inside, right? We can play the game, but what's really going on? A great conversation with somebody this week that was saying, you know, I've kind of been through this before, but now we're getting to the deeper stuff. God is digging deeper into our hearts. That's why we say we're the greenhouse. We're growing disciples who love God, love people, serve the world. What happens in a greenhouse? You break the soil. You dig it up. You cultivate it so that the seeds that God plants in us can grow. The wall forces us to get real. No more pretending. Either we hold on to our stuff or we hold on to Jesus. I love in the, in the book, Critical Journey, where we're getting this whole series from, it puts it so well. Mystery lies at the core of the wall. A mystery that ultimately defies explanation, but includes discomfort, surrender, healing, awareness, forgiveness, acceptance, love, closeness to God, discernment, melting, molding, and solitude in reflection. That's what the wall brings if we're willing to walk through it. We're going to get into this more next week, so I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it too much, but, but here are some ways that we need to engage when we face the wall. Number one, embrace it. Embrace the wall. When we're dry, when we're hurt, when we're struggling, when we're afraid, when we don't know how to take our next breath or our next step, when we think, why did I do this? Why do I keep doing this? Why did this happen to me? Why? And, and we don't even know how to, you know, take the next step. Embrace it. Don't run away from it. Don't run away from it. Don't avoid, don't minimize, don't deny it. Pain is the price of growth. It is. When we grow, it's like my kids over the years. I can't walk my knees because you've grown like a weed, right? We, when we grow, it can hurt sometimes, but the other side of it is so worth it, right? Number two, get help. It's an individual thing and God is going to dig into us individually, but don't feel like you have to go it alone. Find a person, find a group that you can just be yourself. I love this because I've had so many conversations with people and it's just that one-on-one to be able to, to feel that safety. And then, and then I just like a connect group or the women's deal or we're at men's group. Like we always laugh, like we would have been through the case through Christ, like, like a year ago, if we had actually like stayed to the discussion. Right. But instead we show up at 6am. Well, 627, some of us, um, <laughs> I wasn't talking about you, Drew. You're the one. You're, you're just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is the wall. We're breaking through it. There we go. No, but we're like, like we're, we get together and, and Rich's, you know, Starbucks just opens us up, right? Like, like it's amazing at how we can in, involve others in our journey. You never, you ever like, like been afraid to like say something or ask a question or share something because you probably think you're the only one in the room who's experiencing that or thinking that. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, can I share something? And then as you start sharing, like, like half the room is kind of like, yes, yes, I get you. I've been there. I am there. I've, you know, 
That's the power of community. That's why God created us for community, right? Get help. Here's one thing, though, to be careful of. Be careful of people who want to fix you. Because we get the experts. We, we get the, uh, the Einsteins, right? We get the egos that are kind of like, well, you need to do is this. What you need to do is that. And well, you did, I got this program, blah, 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 right? And, and, and they're going to fix us. Just, just trust me. No, we need Jesus is what we need. We need to find people who are like the friends of the paralytic who, who don't try to fix the paralytic themselves, but they get him to the house. The house is full. Guess what? We're going to go up on the roof. We're going to dig a freaking hole. And we're going to drop him right in front of Jesus. That's the friends that we need. That's the friends that we need to be. Get help. Number three, seek God. Don't turn away from the one that you need the most. I've seen this happen time after time after time where life happens and who do we get mad with? God. I'm so mad with God. I don't know if I can can forgive him. What? The one who died to forgive us, we're not even willing to forgive. Guys, that's the wall. That's our will smacking face to face with God's will. When we're so mad at God that we cannot even surrender to him, we need to take a step back and say, whoa. We need to go back and read the end of Job. When God says to Job, sit down. I'm going to have a talking with you. Take it like a man. Take it like a woman, right? Like we need to go ahead and just say, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I forgot who I was talking to, right? That's a huge step in realizing who we're talking with. We need to seek after God, talk to him in prayer, look through his Bible, spend time in worship, just recognize the presence of God in our lives. Number four, we need to listen. We need to see what God wants to reveal in us, to us, about us. We need to pay attention. What do they say? The unexamined life is the life not worth living. A lot of times we just go, 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 go. We don't even think about who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. But we're just on autopilot. We need to slow down. We need to listen to what God wants to reveal to us. It's kind of like going to the dentist and saying, you know, is it like, well, uh, congratulations, you have three cavities. Well, no, 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 no. That can't be because I, I brush and floss three times a day. So I can't have cavities, right? Like we're so buying it. The reality is we don't, right? We maybe brush our teeth once a day and we floss right before we go to the dentist, right? Like, but that's, the, that's what we believe. Well, the reality, we need, to, we need to listen to the reality. We haven't been taking care of ourselves, and now we're going to pay the price, right? We need to come to re- grips with that reality. We need to seek honesty and reality with God. Here's an exercise you can do this week. Set a timer for 10 minutes. Get into a quiet place where there's no distractions. Turn off the TV. Don't look at your phone. Don't, you know, get into your car in the garage, whatever you need to do to get away, right? 10 minutes, five minutes, one minute. Silence. Just listen. 
and then pay attention to what thoughts start coming to your mind. Just take note. As you start to have those thoughts come to your mind, say, why am I thinking this right now? Why is this? When I, when I finally clear all the noise, why are these the voices that are remaining? Might be kind of interesting. Might be a little bit scary. I remember having going through this quite often where um, I'd have my advisor, my, my, uh, my mentor just kind of say, just listen to the voices, take note of them, recognize. It's kind of like when your little kid comes to you and you're, you're trying to you know, be in a conversation and all of a sudden the kid, hey, dad, mom, 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 right? And, and we developed a little thing with our kids. We, we got from a friend is sort of like, we taught our kids to like, if we're talking with somebody, you come up and you squeeze our hand and then we'll acknowledge that you're there and then we'll get to you when we feel it's appropriate, right? But it was kind of hard because our kids would be like, ah, right that, right? Do that with your thoughts. I see you, I recognize you. I'm gonna deal with you later. Listen, observe what's going on. Ask God to bring up what he wants us to do to deal with, right? Try it. See what happens. Listen. Fifth, obey. Now, obey has all sorts of weird connotations in our culture, right? It's not a word that we, it's kind of like, can we say obey anymore, (laughs) right? Are you one of those weirdos? (laughs) Obey, right? We need to obey God. We need to do what he asks us to do. We need to follow what he calls us to. He designed us. And when we do what we're designed for, we experience freedom. A lot of times we think obedience and obey with oppression and meanness and unfairness. No, 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 no. If God created us for something, when we're walking outside of that, that's when things get wonky. That's when things get crazy, right? We need to walk back towards what God wants for us. And then the last one is this accept. No matter what God reveals to us, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how frustrated, how scared, how angry we get, know that God loves you. You're not going through this because God doesn't love you. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. It's just like I always say, I'm looking out at Redwood Road. If my kids wanted to go play out in the road, what would a loving father do? Oh, okay. You want to go play out in Redwood Road? Well, have fun. You do you. No, that's not loving. That's stupid. God is not a stupid father. (laughs) He's a loving father. And he's going, to, he's going to love us, right? And when those hard things, when, when, when we see these things being revealed in and about us, we need to remember that he loves us no matter what. We need to trust him. We need to allow God to draw us to himself instead of denying the sacrificial love, right? Like it's the prodigal son coming back to the father that he was so afraid to come back to the father because, well, I'm not really worthy to be your son anymore, but can I at least be a hired man? And the father is kind of like, get over here, dummy. (laughs) I'm going to give you all that you had and more because I love you. So when 
when we hit the wall here in Utah the first time, right? We had moved the family out here. We started this job. I thought it was amazing, everything like that. It was very quickly obvious that it was not a good fit. And it was hard. For two and a half years, I struggled thinking, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe there's, maybe what am I doing wrong? Maybe I need to be more this. I'm told I'm not enough that. Maybe I need to try harder. Maybe I, and for two and a half years, I tried and I tried and I tried and it was terrible. It was so hurtful. It was hard. And then I was let go. All that to be let go. And it was ugly. It was, it was, it was rough, guys. I, I, it, it was not pleasant, right? This was in 2008, 2009, right when the economy crashed. Lost my job. Lost a ton of money. Lost our house. Lost some friendships. We moved away. I, I, I wasn't a pastor anymore, right? Like my identity was wiped, right? I was a farmhand for my older brothers. We moved to the desert, to the wilderness. Nobody ever goes into a desert thinking, I'm going to see you, God, in any way. But over the time we were there, God revealed us who he was, who we were. Things that we had held on to. There was a lot of darkness, a lot of bitterness, a lot of hurt. There was a lot, guys. It was bad. Um, and, and God broke that in me. And I had to surrender that to him and saying, I know what I want in this, but God, what do you want? Who am I? I, I laugh that, that we kind of, we, we took everything that we believe, not, not God. I never stopped believing in God, but we, you know, church and ministry and me and leadership and all these things like that. We just kind of took it, threw it up in the air. And then the wind blew the chaff away and then it fell to the ground and broke into a million pieces. And I spent the next four years of my life, like a little kid on the ground, putting the pieces back together. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy, but it was good. I said that for the first time in my adult life, I wasn't paid by a church. So I could ask the questions I never felt the freedom to ask before. And it was awesome. And it's shaped us. It's formed us. We came out the other side of that four years thinking, well, maybe I'm not good enough to be a pastor. Maybe Utah, we loved Utah, but maybe not that, right? Like all these things that we surrendered. And now all of a sudden God says, okay, now let's go. It wasn't easy. It wasn't fun, but it was good. When you come out the other side of the desert, you look back and you say, and remember in that canyon when God revealed himself. Remember out when we thought we couldn't take another step and God provided for us. Remember here, and God was good, and God was good, and God was good. We walk through the wall, and it's this amazing time of ripping and healing and molding and shaping and equipping and changing and transforming forever. It's when God does some of his deepest and most creative work. So for you, when your wall comes, don't run from it, embrace it, lean into it. Ask God what's he, what he wants to do through that right? It's like motorcycle riders. I was always told that there's two types of motorcycle riders, those who have gone down and those who will. It's the same thing with our faith. Those of who have hit the wall and those who will. If you haven't hit the wall yet, when it happens, lean into it. Don't go it alone. Seek after God. Let God break and heal what he wants to. If you have hit the wall, 
and you're currently struggling in it, let's go. Let's see what God wants to do right now. If you've hit the wall and you said, I'm out, let's go back. Trust the goodness of God. He loves you and you matter to him. So if you're like here, I hate church. I don't even know why I'm here. Blah, 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 blah. God loves you. Let's go. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you draw us to yourself. God, I thank you that when life happens and things go differently than what we had hoped, God, that it's not out of your control. God, sometimes we, we know that life just happens. And then other times, God, we know that it may be, maybe we've done some stupid stuff. But God, just like the prodigal son, knowing that, hey, I can, I can go back. God, we thank you that you are a loving father. God, help us to trust you. God, it's not fun to call people to sit in the brokenness for a season. But God, as long as you want us to be there, give us the strength that we need. God, if there's things that you want to reveal to us, help us to be receptive. Help us to listen to truth in ways that we can handle, (laughs) that we don't give up on ourselves, that we don't give up on you. God, I pray that we can see you more clearly. And God, too, I just pray that we can be aware that just like we either have or will go through a wall, God, we're surrounded by others who are in the same shoes. God, make us people of grace. Make us people of love. Help us to create safe spaces for people to to be open and honest. God, we just recognize one of the most unifying Verses in the entire Bible is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. All of us, every single one of us. If we sin, if we mess up, if we're stupid, guess what? We all are. God, thank you for, for the freedom of knowing that just because we fail doesn't mean that we're a failure. God, and you haven't given up on us and you won't give up on us. So God, help us to run to you towards your freedom, towards your grace, towards your truth. Spirit, just continue to work in us. We love you. Praise you in your name.